0: is an Odyssey Original. This is Coronavirus Daily I'm Charles Feldman.
1: I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Odyssey Studios in L.A. A CDC panel is kind of pumping the brakes on the idea of vaccine boosters.
0: L.A. County, making it easier for high school teams to play during the pandemic.
1: And lawmakers in this state have pulled back a bill that would have instituted statewide vaccine mandates. But we start with the booster shots. Looks like we might have to wait a bit longer, at least some of us, before getting them. This CDC advisory panel says the evidence isn't clear yet. It might be smarter to focus on just... Just certain segments of the population. Dr. Monica Gandhi, infectious disease physician, UC San Francisco. So, doctor, what do you make of what they're saying?
2: So, I mean, basically, I think this is the simplest way to put it. Number one, uh, yeah, I don't think all of us need booster shots. I think some selected populations do. And why? This is the simplest way I can put it. There are two arms of the immune system there are B cells, and they go into your memory bank, and they're sitting there happily ready to make antibodies if you need them again. And they're T cells that protect us against severe disease. But antibodies, which are little pieces of protein that can protect you in the nose if you see the virus again, they're gonna come down with time. That's totally normal, natural, not a glitch. That's what the immune system does. And as our antibodies come down, we have seen that maybe people are, some people are having more mild uh, symptomatic breakthroughs, but we're seeing excellent protection from severe disease hospitalization and death with the vaccines, which is, by the way, why we develop them, right? Because we only develop them because SARS-CoV-2, COVID caused severe disease. So this booster question, I think, threw a lot of people for a loop because it seemed like, wait, The vaccines are working. L.A., 29 times the the likelihood of getting hospitalized for COVID if you're unvaccinated versus vaccinated. L.A. data. Amazing. So that just means to me that we need select populations who need boosters who are more susceptible to severe disease. About 6,000 Americans have had breakthroughs that are severe. Take those 6,000 Americans, figure out who they are. Are they older? Are they 70? Are they 80? Are they um, people who have multiple comorbidities and give boosters to them?
0: Yeah, I was going to say, when we talk about select groups, so talk for a moment, or, or if you can, to, say, our listeners who are 60, 65 plus, a lot of them are probably looking on the calendar now going, when did I get my second Which shot? I want my booster. <laughs> yeah, I want my yeah. booster now.
2: So, you know, the, the, so the thing is that what the ACIP said yesterday is let's figure out who's at risk. So at least um, in one study in Israel it was 70 year olds or greater with multiple comorbidities. I think that's a great population to think about. Healthcare workers, because they're exposed a lot, that's a good population. And long-term care facilities where they really got shut down and they need as much immunity as they can because they need a more normal life. And then anyone else who's immunocompetent, say 50, 60, but healthy, if if the data doesn't show they're susceptible to severe breakthroughs, giving them a booster is kind of not only a time of our kind of waste of our time and money. But also it will prevent us from giving those doses to the global world who really need vaccines. And that will help us become a better global health leader because we really have the pandemic out of control worldwide.
1: I guess if I'm Maybe on the borderline, though, I'm thinking, OK, so wait for the science. That's good. But was waiting for the science mean waiting for some of us to kick the bucket before you decide that you're going to give us the boosters? Because it <laughs> no, doesn't make me feel I, comfortable.
2: I, I will say that, you know, the way that this is all going to balance out in the end, the CDC, FDA, White House. Sorry, not the CDC, but the FDA and the White House were more pushing for boosters, the CDC ACIP, which is a immunization practice community, said, whoa, let's like look back at the data. It will all settle out and there will be a decision made probably about who gets boosters. If I were making the decisions, I'd probably do it, Israel did it the first, and 60 and above, just because why not? They're older. We often give people who are older more shots. 60 and above, immunocompromised, and then and then we make it super simple. So that's what I would do if I were in charge of the world.
0: So here's a kind of reverse uh, question of what I asked before. Uh, there are a lot of people, as you know, who have already gone and gotten their third uh, booster yeah. shots. So convince somebody who is going to do that, perhaps when the show ends, not to do that.
2: Well, I will say that I do actually think they're safe, and you could certainly do it if you want. Um, it's Kind of, there are two reasons that scientists aren't thrilled about people getting extra vaccines if they don't need them. One is that people had some side effects from the second dose that can be more severe, the more doses you give. Um, Young males, for example, are more susceptible to getting mild inflammation of the heart. I wouldn't give a 20-year-old man who's perfectly healthy Mm -hmm. a third booster shot because they can get mild carditis. So it is, they're not totally side effect free. On the other hand, they're pretty safe. Americans do lots of things that that they just it makes them feel better and that's fair if you want to go do it. I really don't think there's a harm in it, but for public policy to decide, they really do have to look at data. For the pub for us to put out recommendations from the government, we have to look at data. And then if you want to just go and do it you can do it go and do it.
1: Dr. Monica Gandhi, infectious disease physician, UC San Francisco.
0: Here in Los Angeles and across the country, we've seen all sorts of events canceled due to COVID, and with School back in session, that includes youth sporting events. Now, to make things a little easier, L.A. County officials are now allowing testing to take place three days before a competition instead of a strict 72-hour time frame.
1: They're hoping fewer games get called off. Vicky Lagos is the CIF Los Angeles City Section Commissioner and uh, Dr. Bert Mandelbaum, Sports Medicine Specialist at Cedars-Sinai curlin Job Institute. Let's start with the uh, doctor. Uh, do you think this decision is the right one?
3: Well, this first off is a guidance. These are very difficult times in a sense that things are changing very rapidly and radically. And I think the L.A. County Public Health Department is trying to change with those. And uh, with that, they're trying to make it also more user-friendly. And in this way, three days before competition is just a way of allowing coaches and players, parents and staff, Really fall within the guidance, so it's being more user friendly overall.
1: Yeah, doctor, it kind of sounds like the international flight thing, right? It's that's the same kind of rule. It reads the same way. Three days before, if you're going to get on the airplane, you test. We know we're not going to catch everybody, but at least hopefully we can flag some people who you know might be symptomatic or whatever it is.
3: Exactly, exactly. It's just trying to be more user friendly, but also being quite compulsive. To make sure that if, in fact, there is a positive test, we're able to find it overall.
0: Vicki Lagos, uh, do you think enough is being done or should more be done to protect the health from COVID, in particular, of high school athletes and younger kids?
4: Well, I, I think um, the majority of our schools are LA Unified School District schools, and they have been testing, and most of our charters have been doing the same, if not all. Um, they've been testing the students and student-athletes uh, at least once a week and, um, using all of the, the tools that they are able to use to keep the athletes safe. And I know we've given recommendations for various sports, um, in how to keep the social distance and how to clean and everything like that. And so I think that they're doing, um, the best that, that they can, and they're working extremely hard to keep the student athlete safe.
1: Are there different carve-outs for if it's, you know, a bunch of vaccinated kids outside versus your indoor sports, that kind of thing?
4: Well, we just received a new guidance um, last night that's effective September 1st that says that student-athletes do now only need to be tested once a week. It, it went back from what they've said last week. Um, and it does say that vaccinated students don't need to follow that unless there is a positive test within their team or within their um, their. Pod, so to speak. So um, that that's a little bit different. It's ever-changing. And we've learned in this atmosphere that what we need to do is be extremely flexible.
0: Dr. Mindelbaum, mind I'm wondering whether you think it ought to be mandatory for those uh, athletes who are old enough, 12 and above, uh, to be vaccinated?
3: Well, <clears throat> that's the holy grail. I mean, the ideal for our whole population is to be vaccinated, which really mitigates the burden of this pandemic. Once we can do that, uh, that will hit that holy grail. That's tough. Uh, That's tough from so many different levels. We have an anti-vax community uh, that comes to it from many different sides. And that's a challenge that we have. And as we see in our population, like in New York, people can go to shows, people can go to concerts. I think the pressures to do those kinds of things are going to make people want to get vaccinated, and get back to life, which is our number one goal overall.
1: Dr. Bert Schmandelbaum, sports medicine specialist, Cedars-Sinai and Job Institute, and Vicki Lagos, CIFLA City Section
0: Commissioner. Thanks. Coming up after this short break, it looks like California won't have a statewide vaccine mandate, at least not yet. Some Democratic state lawmakers in California had pushed the idea of a statewide vaccine mandate, but it now appears the bill is on hold. They say they need more time to craft the legislation.
1: This does, though, come a couple weeks before a recall election targeting the governor. So are legislators hoping to save him by pushing this back? Buffy Wicks, Democratic Assemblywoman from Oakland, author of the bill, who's going to hold on to that bill now. Uh, Why the pullback?
5: Sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Appreciate the opportunity here. Uh, I can assure you this had absolutely nothing to do with the recall. You know, uh, a bunch of us sort of realized what was happening with regard to the Delta variant You know, over the summer and the fact that we didn't have a high enough vaccination rate. And so we started exploring different ideas when we came back into session to see, you know, what would be possible in terms of, you know, increasing your vaccination rate. We started talking to a lot of different stakeholders, the business community, labor and others. And frankly, we, we started getting a lot of buy-in from stakeholders, but there was just a couple issues that we needed more time to work out. And so, you know, it's pretty late in the legislative session. Normally, we introduce bills at the beginning of the year, and they have time to work through the policy committees. Um, this would have been a different legislative um, procedure. And it's this is a big deal, right, doing a statewide vaccine verification bill. And it requires thoughtfulness, you know, and it requires us engaging a lot of different folks. And so simply put, we sort of ran out of time this year for right now. As you said, we just have about two weeks left, but um, I think we have a very good framework to move forward. We have a lot of interest and I think people realize we need to do more to increase our vaccination rates. So um, I actually feel pretty good about where it's at and excited about January and thinking through um, what we can do to ensure that all of our communities are safe.
0: Okay. So now this is, uh, of course, radio, not TV. So we'll have to take your word for this. But can you tell us with a totally straight face that this decision had absolutely nothing to do with the recall four days later?
5: I I can assure you 100 percent had absolutely nothing to do with the recall. Uh, and, and, you know, and and the governor was asked about this today in a press conference about, you know, if he'd been working with us on this. And he said he was I can't remember the exact quote, but basically said, you know, he's he's working pretty closely with us. I don't think this governor is afraid of talking about vaccines. He's taken pretty bold action on vaccines with regard to state workers and teachers and, and health care workers. You know, he's not afraid to lead. And he's demonstrated that a lot. And I'm eager to work with him moving forward. It was just, you know. These are these are big ideas and they need to be thought through and they need to, you know, be vetted, but be vetted publicly. And I think that stuff is really important for the public. Um, So, you know, we're going to have a lot of those conversations with stakeholders in the coming months and then looking forward to introducing legislation again in January on this topic.
1: How much pushback, though, if it wasn't from even your side, but the other side did you get over the last few days, what's your inbox look like? Because we've got Kevin Kiley and Jim Nielsen going around saying, hey, we took it down. We defeated this (laughs) um, just in this last week.
5: Yeah, no. I mean, obviously, they're going to say that they're politicians, right? Um, but you know, the truth of the matter is, you know, it, you know, we have people with strong opinions on this, of course, and I always welcome dialogue on it. But I think the coalition of you know uh, folks who believe in evidence based public policy making, who believe in public health, who believe our scientists and our health officials who say we need to increase our vaccination rates are all in agreement that that is exactly what we need to do, and we should pursue those types of public policies to ensure that we keep our communities safe.
0: But let, let me ask you, you know, when you say, you know, that it's a, a big, you know, move to make, and it would be to have a mandatory, uh, you know, vaccine policy. We have to prove vaccination to go into uh, businesses, certain public places, that sort of thing. What more thought, though, really needs to be done with it? Uh, you know, New York City is already doing it. Uh, you just yes. simply say, and I, and maybe you shouldn't use the word or I shouldn't use the word simply, but you say, if you want to go into certain places, you need to show proof that you were vaccinated. And to your point about how do you how do you do enforcement? Let's be honest with one another. There is never going to be total enforcement. It is going to be a kind of honor system dependent upon whether private businesses are going to be willing to challenge people who can't produce the, the vaccination proof. So it's, it's kind of a it, in some ways it's a philosophical thing. So what's the big deal then?
5: Well, sure. So, I mean, I think, you know, in in concept, yeah, it is simple. Show show your vaccination status for entry or for, you know, to work or to enter a movie theater or a gym or a restaurant, right? Um, It is a pretty simple, simple step. Now, the New York City model, that's something that's been done by executive action. You know, if I could just wave a magic wand, then sure, I could do it. But I'm a legislator working with 79 other colleagues in the Assembly and 40 in the Senate with a rushed deadline, you know, and I think the big issue for us that that became complicated in this bill was this bill is is requires employers to ask for vaccination status of employees to show positive proof that you've been vaccinated against COVID-19 or alternatively submit to weekly testing if you, you know, are not going to show your your status or you don't want to or you're not vaccinated. Um, so that was the model that we were working with with this bill. And the question became who pays for the testing? Um, And so that's a big question, right? When you're talking about funds and that's where we didn't have time to really figure out, is that going to be somewhat publicly funded? Is it going to be covered by health insurance plans? Is the employer going to pay for it? Is the employee going to pay for it? You know, and so that's some, some of the things that we needed more time to work through. And, you know, it's, it's not often that you get bills that are introduced and passed and signed into law within a matter of weeks and and you know so we don't do those types of bills very often we were exploring a concept here to see if we could do it but we realized we needed more time to do it the right way
1: assembly member buffy wicks democrat from oaklands
0: we're starting to see more companies institute vaccine mandates for employees but it's a little bit trickier when it comes to schools and students especially since the vaccines have not yet been approved for use on children under 12. But now the union representing LA public school teachers is calling on the LA Unified School District to mandate vaccinations for all students 12 and older. This comes a couple of weeks after a much smaller school district in Culver City decided to require vaccinations for all eligible students. LAUSD is the second largest school district in the country, so a potential vaccine mandate for students could have a major impact nationwide.
1: This is an Odyssey original. You can find us and others on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher.